You're listening to the Speaking Tongues podcast. I'm your host, El Sharice. Each week, I sit down to a conversation with multilinguals where we discuss and celebrate language, life, and culture through our own perspectives. Episode 128, Speaking Dogri. Hello, language lovers. Thank you for joining me for this episode of Speaking Tongues, the podcast in conversation with multilinguals. Today, we're learning a ton about the Dogri language with linguist and educator, Dr. Davina Krishna. When I tell you I was pumped to learn about Dogri and Dr. Krishna did not disappoint. In this conversation, we talk about how the Dogri language was once considered a dialect of Punjabi, but now recently seen as a language independent of Punjabi. Dr. Krishna breaks down the grammar of Dogri and I'm so excited to learn about the tonal quality of the language. We even note in the episode that now that Dogri is classified as its own language, it's one of only two tonal Indian languages. So exciting. While we're taking this deep dive on tonality, Dr. Krishna also shows us how they relate tonality in songs and folktales. And you know that we love songs and folktales. She also tells us about the Dogri to English dictionary that she created, and she tells us how linguists are able to take steps like this to preserve linguistic data to keep a language from vanishing. Many thanks to Dr. Krishna for sharing your language and culture with all of us. If you enjoy episodes of Speaking Tongues, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review the Speaking Tongues podcast on Apple Podcasts, and like and subscribe on YouTube so that other language lovers like ourselves can find the show. And if you've been a longtime listener of the show or even a recent listener, you can now pledge ongoing support for the show on buymeacoffee.com or on patreon.com. Special shout out to Speaking Tongues recent supporters and patrons, Heidi L, Linnea H, Pat N, and Yari A. For just $5 a month, you'll have access to excerpts of this conversation that did not make it to the full published episode. And as you know, I wrote a book. My Food Zine of International Language and Cuisine Taste Buds Volume 1 is available now for purchase. Check social media for the sneak peek inside the book and make sure that you purchase one for yourself and one for your friends. Links to all platforms are in the show notes. Okay, let's chat. Welcome back to another episode of Speaking Tongues. I'm here with Dr. Devina Krishna. How are you today, Dr. Krishna? Yes, I'm good, Ellie. And thank you so much for this warm invitation. I'm very excited to welcome you and to talk about your work, to talk about your languages. And I like to start each episode with the same question, and that is, what is your first language and which languages have you learned to speak? So I'm Dr. Devina Krishna, academic and linguist. I teach linguistics as an assistant professor at Patna Women's College. I earned my PhD in linguistics from Jawaharlal Nehru University, New Delhi, India, specializing in phonetics and phonology. And my main research interests revolve around phonetics, phonology, and language documentation. As far as the first language is concerned, my first language has been Hindi, and I have learned to speak English and Sanskrit. Of course, my mother's uh, mother language is Dogri, and uh, I'm familiar with Dogri. And uh, when I was doing my MPhil program and uh, PhD program in JNU, then I worked uh, in Dogri, on Dogri language. Mm. So uh, as far as Dogri is concerned, it belongs to the new Indo-Aryan branch of Indo-European family. And it's a it's it's chiefly spoken in the Jammu region of Jammu and Kashmir, northern Punjab, Himachal Pradesh, and other parts of Kashmir. Uh, I from my childhood I acquired Hindi as that was the native language spoken within my family. And as we know that you know uh, the mother language, if if the child really receives you know a very rich uh, home language environment, then it helps the child to develop his or her language and cognitive skills. So Hindi was my 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 mother tongue, but yes, I'm familiar with Dogri as well. Oh, that's exciting! Um, yeah, <laughs> tell me about <laughs> tell me about how that dynamic was when you were 
you know, you're growing up speaking Hindi, but then you're also familiar with Dogri. And I know in India, there are so many languages spoken. So what was Absolutely. communication like? Um, what was communication like? And, and what languages, I guess, did you hear around you? Or did you hear, yeah. um, you know, in your community? Yes. So, you know, actually, uh, there's this whole, you know, idea of using a language according to the domain. So India is a hub of so many languages. There are like uh, so many languages and every state has its own regional language also. So uh, the place where I reside in the eastern part of India, that's the Bihar region. So there um, I was used to speaking Hindi. And of course, there are other uh, varieties also. So like we have uh, Bhojpuri, we have Maghi here, we have Methli, so many languages are there. So I was mostly, I used to converse in Hindi. And of course, at school, I used to converse in English. So, um, you know, I was actually using language according to the domain. So if I'm in a marketplace, so uh, if there's a vegetable seller, so I'm mostly conversing in Hindi because the person knows Hindi. Uh, you know, as a language. So uh, it was just, you know, I was changing language according to the domain. Mm. I see. And you said that you were living in Bihar? Yes. <laughs> Is now I've, I've talked about Hindi before, specifically with the guest who was living in Bihar. And I All would, right. <laughs> I would love to know um, how Hindi in Bihar, how it stands out from Hindi spoken in in neighboring regions of India. Are there any, yes. are there differences? Are there things that make it, that make it, you know, special to you? Yeah, exactly. See, what happens is like uh, in the present context, the kind of language we speak. So there's a lot of mix mixing taking place. There's a lot of, you know, uh, dilution in the language also. Like uh, there's no, there's no, uh, you know, uh, there's nothing existing as a pure language. So uh, the kind of Hindi, that's that's a very basic Hindi people speak, okay? And most of the people, they're switching, like if, if there's a person whose mother tongue is, for example, Bhojpuri or Methli or Bajika. So uh, due to certain factors, uh, it might be migration or any other factor, uh, people are actually, you know, they are, they are switching from, you know, speaking their mother tongues and they mostly you know converse in hindi which is a very basic form of hindi okay mm -hmm. so uh, yes we have uh, here you know but yes uh, language influences uh, the other codes so we can say that uh, these regional varieties are influencing hindi so we have a bihari hindi also so uh, that is what is happening okay the, the kind of we can say language due to various uh, you know uh, codes coming into contact with each other another code is coming up so that's the case over here i see that's really yes. interesting i'm so fascinated by how language is expressed in india because yes. there's i also feel right uh, that this whole field of linguistics itself is so exciting and amazing yeah so yeah. And I'm like, it must be so you must never have a boring day studying <laughs> linguistics yeah. in India no, because there's so much. Exactly. Because that's why I chose this field, because it's so challenging. It's full of challenges, you know, analyzing language at various linguistic levels. It's a challenge and it's exciting at the same time. Yeah, I bet. Oh, that's so exciting. <laughs> um, So tell us about Dogri and tell yeah. us. Um, so I want to know, so as you're talking, I'm looking on a map and you said it's spoken in Kashmir. Yeah, I, I'll just give you a brief introduction about Dogri. Right. So it is an Indo-Aryan language and it mm -hmm. is spoken by around 2.6 million people in India. And the regions are, uh, it basically is spoken, oh. chiefly spoken in the Jammu region of Jammu and Kashmir, but also mm -hmm. in Northern Punjab. Himachal Pradesh and other parts of Jammu and Kashmir and elsewhere. Okay. And these Dogri speakers are called Dogras and the Dogri speaking region is called Duggar. Okay, that's the term. So mm -hmm. Dogri is a member of the Western Pahari group of languages and the language is referred to as Pahari in Pakistan and Pakistani administered parts of Kashmir. And it is also one of the several varieties of the Punjabi group of languages. You know, many people say that it is a dialect of Punjabi language. Mm 
and it was only recently that the language received official status in the country so uh, based on the unanimous recommendation of a panel of linguists from the general council of the sahitya academy of delhi the language came to be recognized as an independent modern literary language of india okay and uh, this this was hailed as a national language of india in the indian constitution you said recently how recently was it recognized yeah a few years back few years back yeah so we we have uh, various linguists like um, john beams uh, he said that dogri is you know uh, it, it's actually um, in the group of you know uh, 11 indian languages and you know uh, we have grierson for example the linguist uh, who in his linguistic survey of india volume 9 said that dogri is regarded as a variety of punjabi so uh, it is structurally an autonomous language and uh, some people said that it is not a dialect of any other language so uh, these were different views uh, but yes the the good thing is that it, the language has been included in the eighth schedule of the constitution mm-hmm. now with this comparison to punjabi what about dogri and what about the language itself is drawing this comparison to punjabi is it the structure of the language is it the sound yeah, is it the yeah, vocabulary yeah. right right see uh, we know that uh, whether it is punjabi or whether it is dogri they belong to the indo-aryan language family because in india we have so many language families and these languages belong to the indo-aryan language family now punjabi also has an Uh, i'll just talk about the word order for example so it has the same word order like sov we have a subject we have an object and we have a verb and same thing uh, follows in dogri also we have a subject we have an object we have a verb uh, most of the lexical words most of the you know vocabulary terms there it's also similar so uh, some of these words are also similar so i'll also later in the later part when i'm discussing about the lexical tones i'll also give some similar examples from dogri and punjabi also so uh, that's the reason that there is a lot of you know similarity between the two so that's why people say that uh, dogri is a dialect of punjabi but yes uh, now it is considered completely different and yes there are variations there are variations at various levels although there is some similarity because uh, you know uh, in the same region people are living and some are speaking punjabi some are speaking dogri this language is influencing each other but yes uh, we can say that at the various linguistic levels there are differences also to be found mm-hmm. yeah okay so let's get into that tell me about how we're forming sentences tell me is the language gendered is it agglutinative yeah. is it tonal yeah. are there cases yes. <laughs> yes 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 absolutely so uh, uh, of course uh, uh dogri grammar is similar to that of you know indo-aryan languages as i said and uh, it is of course agglutinative language because it is adding suffixes to to roots to build words and to express grammatical relations and uh, of course whereas as far as the dogri nouns are concerned they are marked for the following grammatical categories we have number where we have singular and plural uh, just like in hindi we have and we have gender we have of course it's a gendered language we have masculine and feminine gender we have cases also there we have uh, nominative genitive accusative instrumental ablative locative vocative cases we have even you know uh, adjectives that agree with the nouns they modify in gender number and case we have verbs agree with the, agreeing with their subjects in active voice or with their objects in passive voice in person number and gender so uh, uh interestingly there are three pers- uh, persons also first second then we have a second honorific and third and we have two aspects imperfective and perfective we have three tenses we have three moods we have two voices active and passive passive so uh, it it is you know the the grammatical uh, as far as the grammatical structure is concerned it is similar to you know languages of indo-aryan uh, language family and we have interestingly all these you know these vocabulary uh, words uh, uh, the list of words they are actually you know derived from sanskrit 
And despite, yes, Sanskrit, it's, as, we, as we know that Sanskrit is the mother of all these languages. So mm -hmm. we will we'll find that uh, these words have been derived from Sanskrit and uh, it's the Devanagari script uh, in present day times, which uh, Dogri people follow to write. Uh, you know, historically that was written in Dogra variant of the Takri script, but present day Dogri is written in Devanagari script. So there's something very interesting I would like to share. So, uh, you know, in linguistics, we have a level called morphology, where we actually analyze the internal structure of words. And when we analyze the internal structure of words, we also have at the same time, we also, you know, uh, try to study the various word formation processes that are involved in, you know, the formation of words. So we have an, a very major word formation process that's called reduplication. And that's a, a it's a very important phenomenon of word formation process. Typically in the Indian subcontinent, we'll find lots of languages and they have word formation process and reduplication is one among them. So what happens in reduplication, there's a base form and there's an iterated form. Okay. That means a duplicated form. So like in Dogri, we'll say tola tola. Okay, so the Dogri sentence is, Jagat tola tola aya. That means the boy uh, came very quickly. Now this is uh, this is a repetition. This is a complete reduplication. Tola tola. Uh, similarly, when it comes to a girl, we'll say kuri toli toli awa kardi hi. That's a past. Uh, that's a past tense sentence. That means the girl the girl uh, came quickly. Uh, so the point is that this this whole idea of uh, reduplication is also noticeable in this language. Mm. Yes. I just thought to, you know, include this as I was talking about the grammar. So I just thought that I'll talk about a little bit about the word formation process. And reduplication is one of my favorite areas. So I just thought to include that. I love reduplication. I think yes. it's so cute. It's adorable. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and and then I, since India has so many languages, so I think in, in all of these languages, we have cases of reduplication. But the interesting is to find out what kinds of, you know, what are the different categories of reduplication existing? Because mm -hmm. we have different categories also. So I, I just wonder, in the examples that you gave and the reduplication that we see in that sentence, is that indicating that the action was done quickly yeah yeah oh, yeah. okay yeah this the the, the first uh, uh reduplicative um sentence uh, was jaga tola tola aya. that means this tola tola means quickly very quickly very quickly okay i love that now how yeah. else how else is reduplication used is it only used to um it's it's used only to intensify yeah, yeah, it is. It is uh, used for uh, uh, mostly, you know. Yes. Now, in this sense, it is actually ser serving to, you know, intensify. Right. I like that. And you know, this is uh, this was the example I gave you uh, for complete reduplication. We also have something called partial reduplication. Okay. And there we have, like, for example, in Hindi, we say roti voti. That means bread and thing. Okay, when we say roti voti, it's bread and thing. So similarly in uh, in Dogri also we have roti shuti. That means bread and thing. That's the Indian bread. The roti is the Indian bread. So even uh, you know we have cases of we can say partial reduplication as well in this language. I love that. That's so cute. I love that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's the whole richness of a language, you know, you'll find at various levels. And, and that's what the next, I, I know that you are, you must be, you know, uh, you must be inquisitive to ask me about the lexical tones on which my whole work has been, you know, based. So I'm really excited to talk about it. Yeah, I would love to know about tones and especially that Dogri is written in the Devanagari script. Like, yes. How okay, so the first thing is I want to know about tones as they're spoken, but then you know, my second part of that question is how do we indicate these tones in writing? 
And yes. Yeah, I know you have all the answers. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so uh, when I, uh, you know, decided to work in this area of lexical tones, that time when I was uh, actually reviewing the literature, so I found that uh, it, it was actually mentioned that Punjabi is the only tonal language as far as the Indian subcontinent is concerned. So I thought that I I was, uh, I had read, you know, some other uh, existing literature at that time based on Dogri. So I found that uh, people had assumed that there are tones in Dogri. So I decided to carry this study forward and then I decided to you know um, since mine was uh, my work was totally software based analysis so I went to field I went to I went to parts of Jammu I collected data and gladly I could find tones so uh, yes the language has uh, tonal distinctions it, it makes a tripartite tonal distinctions there are three tones that I found and there is one which is a contour tone. A contour tone is one where a particular tone starts in a particular uh, manner and then there's a glide. It takes a glide. So I found a falling rising tone that was a contour tone. Then I found a mid tone and I found a low tone. Mm. Now, how to, you know, yes, how to actually, uh, you know, put this whole thing in writing. So we have certain, you know, um, uh, diacritic markings for that. Like for falling tone, we have one uh you can say uh, a, a symbol that is being, you know, uh, being given. And similarly for mid-tone also we have a symbol and for low-tone also we have a symbol. So we use those symbols and we that those symbols denote the tone. So for example, in Dogri, we have a word like PE. Okay, so when I say PE, that, now this PE means again, okay. And uh, what is happening, uh, the the tone actually first takes a falling pattern and then it rises. Mm. Then in the second P, there's another P which is said at which is you know uh, uh, I can say that there is no fall, there is no rise, but it is said at a mid pitch. So it's P. So that means grind. So as soon as I, as I change the pitch, the meaning changes. And then we have another the, the third P, which is said at a very low tone. So that's a very low tone. It's simply P, that means drink. So uh, we have the same forms, P, P, P. But, uh, you know, the only point is that the pitch is changing. And as we are changing the pitch, the meaning changes. Mm -hmm. so, uh, so now how did I prove this? I also worked in a software called Prat, or that's a speech software and uh, I had recorded the files and then you know I studied all these words and I could found that uh, yes uh, maybe there are certain there are certain parameters you know through which we can find whether there are tones existing or not so I checked the duration of the vowel so in case of the first uh, vowel uh, where it was a contour the vowel the duration got very long so it was and naturally showing that the vowel is long and it also showed the pattern also how there was uh, the pitch was first falling and then rising then in the second instance also where there was a mid-tone uh, the, the software was showing the pattern and then in the third also the software was showing the low tone pattern so it was also proved through the acoustic investigation that I carried so uh, uh, this is about tones, lexical tones that are there there in the language. And we have other forms also, like uh, other than P, we have Koda. Now, Koda means horse. Again, it has there's a fall rise pitch. Then we have Koda, that means leper, that is said with a mid-tone. And then we have Koda, uh, that is said in a low pitch, that means whip. So mm. we have, again, the forms are same, but the pitch is changing. And as the pitch is changing, the meaning changes. Mm -hmm. So these are clear in, uh, indications that Dogri is a tonal language and the study firmly established with the technological aid, the fact that Dogri is a tonal language amongst the languages of Indo-Aryan origin in India besides Punjabi. Wow. I wonder, 
is the tonality in Dogri part of the reason why people thought that Dogri was a variety of Punjabi? Yeah. Now. Yeah. And, and this this whole idea of, you know, uh, tonogenesis, that means how have these tones arrived? So mm -hmm. tone has emerged at the expense of voicing and aspiration of obstruence. What happens is, so if the word was ghoda, so this gh, this the the aspiration got lost, and uh, the gh, which was an obstruent, uh, there was this you know, uh, the it was a voiced consonant gh, and that just became voiceless. So people assume that this voice this voicelessness came it became coda and all this you know the voicing got lost the aspiration got lost and that led to the arrival of or you know birth of tone when you're listening to punjabi and when you're listening to dogri as much as i don't really want yeah. to compare i don't really like to compare but i'm i'm really curious to know like do you notice the the sim do you notice a similar tonality between both of the languages or has dogri are the are the tonal patterns different in dogri than they are in punjabi yeah yeah so uh as i told you that the earlier literature that I had read. So there it was mentioned, we had the same examples of Koda, you know, horse and Koda, leper, Koda, whip. We had the same example in Punjabi, but yes, the tones were little different. The kind of analysis I got was slightly different from the earlier works that I have read. So maybe, you know, sometimes what happens, the mid-tone, what I'm thinking of as a mid-tone might be low tone for someone. So of course, uh, or there might be some allotones also. So it just depends upon one's investigation. What I found, I could found a contour and I could found two steady tones also. But yes, uh, there was some, you know, in some way or the other, like uh, the falling rising tone is almost similar like the Punjabi. But yes, there might be some variation as far as the mid and the low tones are concerned. I'd love to know. Now, you mentioned that that Dogri, um, you know, there are variations within Dogri um, in, yeah. Jammu, in Jammu and Kashmir and, and surrounding areas. But I'm curious now that we're talking about tones. Are there changes in tonality throughout the the region where Dalgri is spoken, or does that stay the same? Yeah, so uh, so there's this place in uh, near Jammu that's called Basoli, and that is my mother's birthplace. So I remember when I went there, I I collected most of my data from there, and uh, even I uh, went to the proper Jammu region. I collected data from there. So, but I couldn't find a lot of similarity. It is almost similar. But yes, when I compare, if I compare a person living in parts of Himachal Pradesh, for example, so his or her dogri might show some variation uh, as far as uh, the Jammu dogri is concerned. So there might be cases of little variation. But yes, of course, um, uh, I think uh, that needs to be studied. Um, I haven't done that study, you know, where I can compare the Himachal variety with the Jammu variety mm -hmm. because mine was totally based on the Jammu region. But yes, that is something to be studied and that will be an interesting thing to study further. Are there any variations or there's similarity or there's homogeneity? Yeah, and this is this is interesting for me as well because I didn't realize that or maybe I knew and forgot <laughs> that yeah. Punjabi is is the well you know considered well like you said it was considered the only tonal language in yes. India yes. and like I'm fascinated with that because because first of all I'm just fascinated with Indian languages period like full stop I think that <laughs> there yeah. they are amazing and there's just so much to know and so much to learn and it's so rich with history and culture and all the stuff that I love so I think that having Dogri be this the the other one be the second one and and have it be you know recognized I think is a really big deal yeah this is amazing. This is such a big yeah. deal, bigger deal than I even realized and and I recognized. Yeah. And 
I feel like I'm going to tell you, I think why I'm so fascinated with, you know, with Indian languages, because I think, you know, I, I'm in New York City, so I live in the U.S. And yeah. I think that, you know, obviously there are many uh, South Asian people living in the U.S. And I love those. I, I love their communities and, and you know, have so much respect for, for their communities. And I think yeah. that me, you know, obviously not being South Indian myself. Um, and I, I think of the the perception that we get often of India, of um, of Bangladesh, of, of Pakistan and Sri Lanka, et cetera. And I think that yeah. we, we get a vision that is very monolithic. And I exactly. think that, you know, at least when I was growing up and, you know, when I would think of India, I only had like one thing in mind and that was, Actually, can you guess what it was? <laughs> Do you want to take a guess? Uh, you had one thing in mind. Oh, my God. That is something you have to tell me. I will tell you. The Taj Mahal. Yeah. Oh, my God. The Taj Mahal. Oh. Right? Yeah. And when I, when I think about myself 20 years ago, and I would, and this is what I would think when I think of India, I'm ashamed because it's like, okay, I know it's a wonder of the world and it was a magnum opus, but it's just one yeah. thing of billions of things to know yeah. and understand about India. And I I just, I love the vastness of it. And I think it's so interesting. And I'm so grateful to be able to have these conversations, talk to someone like you who, who can give me more insight and give my audience more insight and more perspective on, you know, the parts of India that, you know, we don't get to see in the U.S. Yeah, um, that's my absolute pleasure. <laughs> the yeah. pleasure is mine. Trust me. Believe yeah. me. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Is there anything else about Dogri that maybe we didn't get to mention and and you think, you know, we should also talk about or anything else you'd, you'd want to talk about? Other than that, um, the next thing uh, I, I want to discuss is, you know, this whole idea of folktales. Yes. Yeah. I'd love to know about folktales. I love a folktale. I love a language that's rich with folktales. Um, yes. <laughs> tell us about <laughs> tell us about some of the folktales that we hear in Dogri and what are some common themes that we encounter? Yes. So, uh, yeah, right. So uh, Dogri has a rich oral literature and folktales form an extensive part of it. Now, a lot of themes can be found in this language, ranging from mystery, adventure, to humor, satire, social and domestic problems. Now, despite these myriad variety of themes, uh, uh, what you know, I found that Dogri has an element of musicality and rhythm in narrative techniques within its folktales. Now, I even uh, wrote a work discussing how the storytellers, they use the element of musicality in their storytelling techniques to ease the children and other listeners, and then uh, to create a, you know, a, a zone of comfort and entertainment in front of them. So yes, um, when we talk about these folktales, you know, uh, these folktales are narrated using a, a sing-song variety of Dogri with special emphasis on even the use of reduplicates and, uh, you know, musical onomatopoeias to lend a sense of musicality and rhythm in the language. So, um, as we see, as we archive the Dogra oral history through the folk tales, uh, which are which are meditative in nature, there's a lot of there are a lot of stories from all genres from Dogri literature, and uh, uh, let's let's if we if we talk about some of these uh, Dogri folk tales, mm -hmm. yes, there are some very interesting folk tales. Uh, like uh, you know, I, I'll just I like to narrate one. So we have uh, a popular folk tale entitled Gunguru Pawai. I like to know to know. Okay, so I'll just tell you the folk tale, and I'll just tell you how this uh, this whole you know uh, there's this whole element of musicality in it. So this is a this is a story of a bird. So what happens one fine day? A person sees a bird that has eaten the leaves of a plant from his land, and he was infuriated, and he decided to punish the bird by taking it to the king for retribution even though the bird was lame and unable to fly properly. Now, on the way to the king, they, they encountered a man on horse-driven carriage. So the carriage 
driver felt pity for the bird and told that the man that the bird uh, the he told the man that the bird was poor and helpless and the bird then said to the horse now this this whole you know the bird is uh, is talking to the horse and it is you know it the bird the way the the bird is saying this 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 whole you know it's like a singing thing mm. so um, the bird sings like this kode aale aaye tak tunu tunu so bechadiya aaiya tak tunu tunu dam बीछड़ी पकड़ोई टक टुनु टुनु बच्चे मेरे आले टक टुनु टुनु नाउ यू नो व्हाट व्हाट हैपेंस लाइक द द बर्ड इज यू नो एक्चुअली टॉकिंग टू द हॉर्स एंड द वे दी स्टोरी टेलर्स नरेट दे यू नो दे यूज द सिंग सॉन्ग वैरायटी एंड दे द बर्ड इज टेलिंग द द हॉर्स दैट यू नो हर कंडीशन इज नॉट फाइन एंड and then uh, there's uh, some it, it's expecting the horse to show some sympathy mm. now uh, it was a sad story and uh, then what happens nonetheless the, the man was intent on getting the king to punish the birds so he carried on with his journey and finally approaches the king to tell him the story of the bird so the king listened to the story intently but was sympathetic to the bird and its plights and contrary to what the man was expecting the the it is a the king who punished the man and the poor bird was allowed to go free okay so this is how you know the the storyteller narrates the story so uh, this is the culture we can say uh, it's like a song so the story is you know actually narrated in the form of a song the song is sung in between the story but eventually becomes an integral part of it so this is a whole beauty you know combining music with dogi folk tales that is some something which excites the listeners especially children who yeah. who become intimately involved with the tale well i'm excited and thank you for singing that <laughs> thank you for yeah, singing that you thing know, i tell you how people do it this is how people do and i i still have instances within my family you know there are people in my family who still narrate you know in this manner to their children so uh, that is something you know what happens the children they really get involved with the tale that's the whole you know beauty of it so mm-hmm. the combination of the story along with the song song that that elicits empathy thereby you know making the listeners use their hearts and not just their minds right <laughs> right are the tales are the tales primarily for children or are they also for adults uh see primarily uh, they are being narrated for the children but i have seen that even the adults listen to it and of course yeah the adults are involved in singing these uh, these folk tales but then uh, yeah mostly it is you know it is those are being narrated to children who really enjoy listening to these stories mm-hmm. and yeah yeah and you know the the simple technique used by these storytellers to tell a part of a story to sing a song or you know uh, tell more of the story and then sing another song aids in weaving the song and the story together so it's a blend it's a blend of a story and a song so i know that this is not just unique to dogri there might be other languages also where this technique is being used but then you know through a lot of repetition the songs included in stories they are often uh, picked up by the audience you know and these musical elements create experiences which i feel they are they are more powerful and meaningful than regular storytelling this is really really cool i think this is really cool are the stories that so the story that you told and i guess other stories um yeah. are they mainly for entertainment are they also stories to teach a lesson are they more like fables or is there a mix yeah so as i said that these musical elements create experiences that are powerful and meaningful and of course every story has some lesson there is some lesson at the end uh you know the children can learn those lessons and they are being uh, told so that they can learn something okay so uh but there are uh, so many stories so uh, every story has some lesson in the end and uh, but yes the the point is that when these are these stories are incorporated with elements of musicality uh, that not only just uh, makes the entire thing musical but also makes it interesting 
Mm. Other than, apart from, you know, retaining the attention of children. So they enjoy and they learn a lesson also. Where can where can we hear these stories? Do children have to go to like a gathering place to hear them or they pass down to yeah. families or like how how does it work? Yeah, these are actually, you know, narrated within their within their homes also, within their home environment. So they actually receive these stories at the home environment only. And uh, within, uh, I mean, the grandmothers are there, the elderly people are there, the mothers are there, the caregivers are there. So they are actually involved in this effective storytelling, which is so rhythmic. So mm. this is completely a rhythmic storytelling technique, you know, that is being applied to make the the, the images um, in the mind of the listeners engaging. Other than that, there's rhythm also, and rhythm has a lot of. We know that rhythm has a lot of power, and when it, mm. that is applied to storytelling, that can also have a major impact on the story and its receivers. So these folk tales uh, incorporate the elements of musicality and rhythm into their narrative techniques. You know, like I remember being read stories when I was a kid, um, yeah. and I I don't remember being told stories as a kid which is not an indictment of my parents it's just I think you know a cultural difference and I I just exactly I wonder how much richer as a child you can imagine a story when it's being told to you versus when you can see a book that's illustrated yes Absolutely. And, you know, uh, this is a reason my my son, when I, you know, uh, when I narrated him the story, I mean, he also started taking interest, you know. So I think this whole element of musicality is so engaging to our senses. You know, the more senses stimulated by a story, the more people will not only relate to the story, but they also get moved by it. Mm -hmm. So, you know, uh, it's the ultimate achievement of incorporating musicality. Uh, and that is what, you know, uh, people, or I should say that, in other words, by incorporating musicality, the story's message can be internalized by listeners. We know that, you know, music is, music has, is therapeutic. It is known for its uh, mood altering, mood altering qualities and its ability to affect behaviors. So as music triggers human senses and has a significant impact on human sensibilities, so music provides the opportunity for storytellers to tell the stories in different ways. Mm. So this is an art and the art and power of storytelling is all about immersing the audience in the story and touching them emotionally. So uh, this whole element of musicality aids and enhances the storytelling process. Yeah. And of course, children enjoy it. Absolutely. I, I enjoy storytelling and I think it, it, it took me a while. I think now, you know, as an adult, I enjoy it a lot and I actually crave it. And yeah. I crave I crave a, a well-told story. And I'm, you know, personally, I'm trying to get better and trying to become a better storyteller myself. And it's <laughs> it's an uphill it's an uphill journey. But I really, I really appreciate it. And I love that it's so such an integral part of the culture. I'm curious to know, are there you know, because we're talking about the musicality of it, are there any instruments that are played alongside storytellers? Uh, uh, there, there is no need of instruments. No, the instruments are not being played, but they, you know, simply um, as far as the current uh, situation, I'll just talk about the contemporary time. So uh, I think the there is, there is simple narration and the, the person who is a storyteller he or she simply narrates using this, this, these two elements of musicality and rhythm. So there's a simple narration, and uh, uh, as I told you, there's a blend of song and you know story. So that just makes it interesting. Mm. Okay, I was yeah. really thinking to ask you also about like uh, songs and movies, and that you know if if we see any of that. But I I want to hear about folk songs first. Um, yeah so yeah so uh yeah so as i said that we're talking about music and uh you know uh, there are 
uh, Dogra folk songs and there's a lot of importance of music in the Dogra life. So music, we know that it plays an important role in human life and people feel refreshed when they listen to music. And of course, culture plays an important role in human life and folk songs are part of culture. So uh, folk, song, folk songs of Dugar or Dogra are a rich uh, store of folk culture and thought. And uh, the they are like, you know, there are various themes. So these songs are, you know, actually played on various um, situations and various contexts. So we have folk arts, folk dances, folk literature, and uh, that has been transmitted orally from one generation to another. So... We have also, you know, folk songs. We have a very famous folk song like uh, Palasipaya Dogariya. So that is also a very uh, famous folk song. That is, and the interesting thing is that uh, uh, some on some important occasions the song is being played. So uh, that is actually, you know, sung in the memory of a soldier. Okay, the woman is singing the song in the memory of a soldier, and of course, uh, uh, the the beauty is that. Uh, although the song is quite old, but then even in the present context, uh, we, we find that it is, still be, it is still being played. And that's the whole idea. So uh, we can, we can you know, there's this whole sense of preservation of culture. This just brings me to the point of preserving culture, uh, linguistic diversity. Now, we living in a setup, a multilingual setup where, uh, where there is, uh, linguistic diversity or let's say multilingualism or cultural diversity so if if we you know if we preserve our culture we are preserving the diversity of our nation and you know this whole thing fascinates me i feel happy to know that how these folk songs uh, these folk stories are still existing and this is what is actually helping us in preserving our linguistic diversity also because what i feel that if we don't uh, you know, uh, speak our language. We don't, uh, you know, uh, we don't actually incorporate the use of these folk songs, folk tales in our day-to-day -day life. If we don't use them, then, uh, you know, in some way or the other, uh, uh, the, these will not exist. Mm -hmm. So in order to make the culture alive, in order to preserve the cultural diversity, linguistic diversity, we must make efforts. Yeah, absolutely. Do you have a folk tale or folk song that you heard growing up that has become your favorite? Uh, yes, as, as as I narrated the folk tales, I've been listening to those, you know, folk tales. Uh, <laughs> all these folk tales at my, at my, uh, you know, uh, among my family members, uh, mm -hmm. the one I narrated to you, and we have some other folk tales also. So, uh, this uh, the one I narrated to you is one of my favorite because you know why it is my favorite because not only there's this whole idea of musicality and the way it is narrated that's interesting but other than that there's a very you know uh there's a it's it is ending with a good lesson now mm -hmm. the, the 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 poor bird uh the bird was innocent and that is that is why it was allowed was allowed to go. And the person who was extremely greedy was being punished. And this is what happened. So, so uh, you know, all these folk tales, they actually end uh, with, with, a, with what we call a lesson. Okay. There's some lesson at the end. And that's, that's something which just makes it so fascinating. Because, you know, what I feel that in the present day times when we are actually living in the, you know, technologically driven world, People are glued to their smartphones, smart devices. There is no time for personal interactions. Mm -hmm. We are missing that. So I think uh, this is one way, you know, uh, getting to your roots and, you know, finding about your roots, finding about the interesting aspects of your culture. Uh, there's a kind of shift that, that you're actually, you know, uh, diverting from the present scenario and you're getting into your roots. So that is something the need of the art, what I feel. So uh, this is what I tell my son also, that you must know your roots also. You know, not only playing games on smartphone is good enough, but then you you should, you know, also uh, look at the cultural aspects also. 
uh, you know, it's important to acquaint the children. So I think uh, let's not, we should not say that, you know, these are old methods, okay, or folk tales and all these things. But I think these should, they, we should try to make some balance. I think we can incorporate them in our day-to-day -day life as well. Yeah, this is really fascinating. I'm so glad that, you know, I'm so yeah. glad that you had so much to share and, and to yeah. tell and us. And, you know, this is, a, this is a whole, I think, you know, being diverse has its own advantages. This is the whole beauty of diversity. There's so many things you one can explore, whether it is the cuisine, whether it's the language, whether it's, you know, any other aspect related to, you know, the any cultural aspect or for that matter. So there's so much to explore. Yeah. yeah. You told me that you uh, created a bilingual dictionary. Yes, uh, yes. With Dogri and English and I think that is such an incredible feat. So firstly, congratulations. Thank you so much. And I would love to know, as someone who loves dictionaries, <laughs> what, what kind of yeah. considerations did you have to make to complete yeah. such a grand project? And, you know, what was the process like? And yeah. how is this resource being used? Yeah, so that was my MPhil program in JNU. So in one of the courses titled Language Documentation, so I compiled a dictionary of Dogri English uh, containing commonly used lexical items. So it was around 1,000 words. Now, this was with the help of Toolbox. That was a software. And uh, uh, the dictionary was created using the software Toolbox. And uh, Toolbox is a data management and analysis tool for field linguists. So it is used for maintaining lexical data and for parsing and interlinearizing text. And it is just free to download and use. So uh, what happens when you when you actually download the software, you have to enter the lexical word. Uh, you have to, it, you know, it shows like that you, you uh, it has its own structure. So there, you have to enter the lexical word, then you have to enter the parts of speech. Uh, you put the gloss, okay, and you put the definition. So I remember that I created the lexemes in Dogri via toolbox. So it was all done in an alphabetical manner and I had inserted pictures also. So for example, the Dogri word Koda. Okay, Koda means horse. So I inserted the lexeme Koda. So it uh, I can use the phonetic fonts over there. And then I ins inserted the part of speech that is noun. And then I gave the description that it is a large animal. Uh, uh, which people can write. And then after that, I even inserted a sentence in Dogri. Dogri. And then I gave the, the again, I gave the gloss. Mm. So uh, that is how he, that is how it was compiled. So I think uh, it was, it was around uh, more than 1000 words that I actually, uh, it was a, it was a very, uh, you know, difficult task initially, but then gradually I learned it. And yes, uh, uh, it was being made and that was being documented. And those days we had uh, compact discs. So it was even uh, documented uh, in these, uh, in those uh, CDs. And then that was actually submitted in the university so that, uh, you know, the future researchers can uh, make use of the data. So it was a kind of documentation. And the point was that since India is facing, you know, language endangerment issues, so linguists are actually working hard to document these languages, which are, you know, in some way or the other in a vulnerable state or facing some levels of endangerment. So that was the whole idea to introduce the course of language documentation to acquaint students with the toolbox software and uh, to, of course, uh, create data, to preserve data so that that can be used for posterity or future generations. Mm -hmm. I know yeah. that, I know that, you know, English is, uh, India is an English speaking country. And I'm curious to know what was behind the decision to make it from Dogri to English and maybe, and not like Dogri to another um, Indian language. Yeah, so uh, uh, so it, it could have been a, a trilingual dictionary also, but since it was the initial stage, so we were being taught to, you know, to start with a bilingual thing. So uh, 
so we uh, there was this uh, opposition uh, you know put like you know uh, keeping one of your mother tongues and then you can just put english you can have english translation of it so that was you know just an introductory course and then that's why we just started with you know this whole idea of creating a bilingual but then uh, uh, i i always think that uh, i should take that work further and you know create a trilingual where we can have other than you know the native language we can have uh, hindi also there and we can do a trilingual dictionary also so that was just the initial thing so uh, that was uh, we each of us like all the students they were supposed to choose their mother tongues along with english I for see. the translations right Oh, okay. So is this dictionary available for, is it available online for anyone or is it just at the university? No, it, it's it's at the university for documentation. Oh. It's, it's preserved there only. Yeah. But yes, interestingly, I have a hard copy of that with me. Yeah. <laughs> I was just curious, you know, I, I think about, I think about language resources um, yeah. And it, it, you know, it, uh, also going back to what I, um, you know, what I was saying earlier about, you know, looking at India and looking at it as a monolith and not realizing how many languages are spoken. And, you know, I'm thinking of maybe the, you know, the Indian American family who's here and they are, you know, Dogri speakers, like if they want to encourage their children to speak the language like this is a resource that would be great for them or um or anybody else who wants to learn who wants to learn the language yeah and, absolutely yeah yeah. Absolutely. yeah yeah absolutely and that is the whole idea of language documentation since you know this whole idea of endangerment is endangerment is so crucial because you know within endangerment also there are so many levels Mm. Okay, so uh, India is, of course, facing language endangerment and uh, there are so many levels. So the only way one can, you know, save it, like, for example, I'll tell you, there's something called definitely endangered and there's something called critically endangerment. endangerment. So, you know, that is, there's, there's a variation and there are some languages who are in a vulnerable state. So they have not exactly reached the stage of, you know, endangerment, but they have the potential. They might, you know, uh, reach that stage in future. So uh, the endangerment, endangerment level, uh, they actually vary, okay, from language to language. And um, uh, so uh, instead of, you know, uh, there are certain things we can do as linguists so we can preserve the data. So when we when we are being taught language documentation, the whole idea is to cre create resources, to create resources so that we can save the language from uh, getting vanished. Mm. Okay. So uh, in some way or the other, we, we make efforts to preserve the language. And I think that's a very uh, important task and uh, even I'm doing a project I'm doing a very uh, a, a very you know it's a it's a very minor project but then it is uh, I'm actually working on on the reduplicatives uh, or you can say reduplicated structures of uh, there are two languages which are actually vulnerable languages of the eastern part of India and those are uh, Angika and Bachika so I'm also working on a project and it, it it gives me a lot of pleasure that uh, I'm getting a chance to document the work through my efforts. So, and that's something, you know, giving back to your community as well. Yeah. So there's a sense of satisfaction along with some reward also. Yeah. Oh, that's so exciting. Yeah. It's exciting. Not that the... <laughs> Not that the languages are endangered, but it's exciting that you have the opportunity to work with them and, and give back. Exactly. I think that's wonderful. Exactly. And and my students are also working in that area. That's another interesting thing. Yeah. That they, they are also there to, you know, to, they're also finding out which languages are, uh, are getting extinct or uh, are, there, are the languages vulnerable and uh, how can we, you know, what possible efforts can be done to save them? Yeah. yeah. I would love for you to let our audience know. Um, let us know. Well, you've you've told us uh, a bit about 
what you're currently working on, but if there's anything else you want to mention that you're working on and uh, let us know if anyone, you know, if anyone wants to get in touch with you, let us know where we can find you um, online or on social media. Yeah. So uh, yes, I'm there on uh, Facebook also. And I think uh, I can give you my email ID also. So that can also be circulated. So if there are questions, I, I think... I'll most appreciate that if they can mail me the questions. So I would love to answer those questions. I will put it in the show notes for this episode so that people who are listening can get in touch with you right away. Yeah, sure. I'm so excited. I'm so happy that we had this conversation. Yeah. And you know, the whole point is that you made me feel so comfortable and you are taking so much of interest. There's so much to say, but then we have a limited time. So I think, uh, <laughs> Maybe, uh, maybe later also some sometime we can plan something else and we can discuss more on this. Absolutely, so we can discuss all this. Yeah, you definitely have to come back and have another conversation with me because. Oh, I would love to. Yeah. <laughs> Well, yeah. Doctor Krishna, I know that it's getting late for you, so I want to wrap up. Um, yeah, sure. I want to thank you again for this lovely conversation this I learned so much in just talking to you in this short time and I'm I'm really grateful that you know to have had the opportunity to talk with you this thank you is mutual I must thank you because you know I just couldn't feel there was no pressure as such it was so such a relaxing and soothing environment you made it so easy for me so it was so con it was a perfect conversation you know I really enjoyed every aspect of it Thank you so much. And 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 I'm I'm really just curious. So I I thank you for indulging my curiosity and teaching me so many new things. And um I'm glad yeah. you felt comfortable and and um Very so comfortable. did I. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That's what I want this show to be. I just want it to be friendly. You know, I I don't you know, I don't, I don't want to drill anybody for the hard answers. Like it's just very, very casual. So, um, yeah. yeah, I thank you again. And my final question that I ask at the end of every episode, and this is where I'm going to take an opportunity to try some dogri language for myself. Do you okay. have, <laughs> do you have any jokes, popular sayings, tongue twisters, cool slang words, idioms, words of wisdom, or words of advice in Dogri yeah. to share yeah. and to teach us. Yeah, sure. yeah. so uh, there's a very famous uh, proverb because, you know, uh, proverbs have the quality of saying much in the fewest words, right? Mm-hmm. So this is something I heard from my mother and from my other relatives also. So it says, Gilase da dudd, na me na tudd. Okay, that means that the milk which is there in the, you know, in the glass, it is neither yours nor mine because somewhere or the other it will fall down. You know, it happens right? at times, you know, the, the milk in the glass, it just falls down due to some reason. So it, it, it's just like it's neither yours nor mine. So <laughs> I'll, I want you to speak this. Okay. So I'll, just, I'll tell you and you just speak this. You say the first word is gilase. Gilase. Da. Da. Dud. Dud. Now me. Now me. Natud. Now me. Natud. Oh, it sounds so nice to hear from you. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, let's put it all together and I'll repeat after you. So it's Gilase, Natud. Now me. Natud. Gilase da dode, name na tode. Absolutely right. <laughs> yeah. I like this proverb. Yeah. So you said it meant the milk in the glass is neither yours nor mine? Yes. I have to start collecting these because I've learned so much wisdom from all over the world from my guests. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you again for, thank you for, well, first of all, thank you for teaching me that proverb and, and hopefully our listeners are practicing along with me. Um, Try to learn something new, try some, some new sounds. And it's always a pleasure, always a pleasure to, you know, to try a new language. So 
Uh, this has been wonderful again. So I just want to ask you one more thing. Um, in a situation such as this one, where we have been talking for quite some time and we're in Jammu and we are about to go our separate ways in Dogri, what is the best way to say goodbye? Okay. That's Changawe. We say Changawe. Changawe. Yes. Changawe. Dr. Krishna. Thank you again, and I'll be talking to you soon. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. New episodes of Speaking Tongues are available every Monday, 7 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel and to like and share episodes with other language lovers like ourselves. Ciao.